This is Inspired in 15, where we dive into big ideas with the smartest founders and operators we know. In this episode, Charlotte Ross speaks with Praveen Ramanini, co-founder and CEO of Portrait, all about the future of aesthetics. We'll welcome Praveen after the break. Support for Inspired in 15 comes from the law firm Cooley, a global leader in venture capital financings, M&A, IPOs, and public company work. Cooley advisors entrepreneurs, investors, financial institutions, and established companies around the world where innovation meets the law. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and also at CooleyGo.com. Cooley's award-winning free legal resource for startups. Welcome, Praveen. This is one of the consumer categories poised for the most growth over the coming decade. So I'm very excited to dig in to all things aesthetics with you. So let's start with a brief overview. For those out there who may be unfamiliar with Portrait, can you share a bit about what Portrait is and how the business works? Sure. I think the best way to think about Portrait is it's really your launch pad and infrastructure to launch a practice and really a clinic. And so we primarily focus on, you know, dermatology, aesthetic dermatology, but it's everything that you need to get your business up and running. So it's not just software. It's also know-how, understanding like how to operate necessarily in your state. It's the rails and maybe connects you with like a medical director. It's also just having the supply side, the relationships with pharmaceutical companies. It's everything that you really need to get going. And I think the interesting thing about it is there's stuff that I think a lot of entrepreneurs in this space consider, and then there's stuff that they realize 30, 60, 90 days after the fact, once they're up and running. And so the sequencing of that is really important for determining, I think, success and launch of your practice. And so I think we really designed what that needs to look like. And it really does vary um, depending on what you're trying to accomplish for your practice and also the vertical that you're launching into. And are you mostly targeting nurse practitioners, estheticians, doctors? Walk us through what the ideal customer looks like. You know, it's really interesting. So I actually think about it in terms of almost like an ecosystem, because some of those roles or licensures that you describe actually have dependencies on each other. So who is launching a clinic? It could be a medical director, you know, an MD. It could be a nurse practitioner. It could be a PA. It could be an RN. And depending on, you know, what their licensure is, they might need oversight. And so it could also just be like an independent business entrepreneur. Uh, PAs they want to recruit. So I think we've actually built something that is like flexible enough to support those different use cases and also risk profiles, depending on what offering that they're working with us on. And so what got you excited about this category and opportunity to begin with? Why did you choose to start Portrait Care? And what did you think was missing in the market at the time of starting this company? I think a lot of great companies, there's usually like a personal element. And I can't say that the personal element here was actually aesthetics. I think the personal element here was independent medical providers. So I come from a family of physicians, a lot of healthcare members in the family and people who operate in solo practices for 34 years. People have operated multi-state groups. People have purchased surgical centers, taken more admin roles. And I think what that's allowed me to do is just understand the vantage point of a clinician as the healthcare industry has evolved. And I think what I hear a lot is what does it take to kind of be successful as an independent, especially in a world where scale matters, roll-ups are going to continue to be a trend. And so to me, that's the personal connection with it. Like why start it? I believe that providers should be put in a position to deliver the care that they want to their patient population. 
but have the same operating leverage as someone else. And so I think we really set out to build that experience. And I think we're doing a pretty good job within the initial vertical that we've launched into, which is aesthetic dermatology. Does that imply that maybe you guys will expand eventually into other verticals? Yeah, I think so. And I think in a way, it's really cool that once you take a healthcare provider who really viewed themselves as a clinician, and then you put them in a position to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, they're still focusing primarily on the thing that they love. And a lot of things are being handled for them. But all of a sudden they start to think about themselves as more than just a clinician, you know, and they're like, oh, well, I could go into this adjacent vertical, or I could bring on like this piece of equipment, or I actually want to design my practice now that I actually have a couple extra cycles that would normally be spent just operating a business, which is where I think a lot of clinicians kind of get overwhelmed when they decide to go off on their own. And so they kind of turn into these heat-seeking missiles that are pulling us into new markets. And, you know, obviously we have to evaluate which ones make sense or don't make sense, which ones we actually provide value for them. But yeah, I think the vision is to go into adjacent verticals and potentially even like totally new, very distant verticals. And is there a reason why you chose aesthetic dermatology as the initial vertical? What was it about the kind of demand in the space or... I guess, also the economics that led you to this? There's certainly, I guess, certain dynamics. It's a highly fragmented space. There's cash pay. There's, I think a lot of people are feeling the squeeze from like roll-ups. They're getting like pricing power relative to them from suppliers. So there's a lot of those things that you can evaluate. But to me, the thing that's more fun and interesting is that it's just a highly ambitious group of medical providers. And so it's almost like things that are being adopted in the way that care is being delivered or business models are being designed. It almost feels like a bit of like the bleeding edge. Yeah. You could have adoption into other healthcare verticals in the future. And so that's the part that I find really exciting and interesting. And I think, you know, hopefully it'll set some interesting precedents that could be used for honestly, like other providers who are trying to adapt. It's more of a cash pay type model because of maybe their frustrations with like a traditional payer-based credentialing process. Yeah, it's interesting. It's more of an entrepreneurial spirit among the people who are administering some of these services. Totally. So how do you think about leveling the playing field for the providers on Portrait? I think that's an excellent question. We certainly are seeing a lot of forces that are consolidating the industry and positioning it for success from larger players. And so in many ways, we view Portrait as the counter current to that. And so what does it practically mean to level the playing field? It means that as a solo provider or even like, you know, a multi-provider practice, you're not overwhelmed by all the back office operations that you can't actually focus on clinical care, which is why you got into this business to begin with. And so leveling the playing field is simplifying that for you, making it easier for you to launch, taking care of like the back office operations, giving you like the same purchasing power as someone else who's able to price more competitively in the market because, you know, they have those arrangements and you don't. And so you're just getting priced out. So I really think about it in terms of three points on a triangle. You know, there's 11 playing fields, like, you know, building like the technology rails to make it more efficient work. There's the supply side, which is the pricing piece of it. And that is not just like raw inputs. It's also the cost of maybe what it takes to work with a medical director or something because you have a more efficient technology process and then ultimately like the capital and the access to capital. And so we have a lot of different solutions in how we help providers get up and running. And so the coordination of those three things is ultimately what allows the practice to launch and be successful. Great. So one question I had, and obviously you guys are the software layer, which is important to remind the audience, but I think trust is something that's so important in this category. And obviously things can go wrong and people can get hurt. 
how do you guys think about that when you help someone get their business off the ground? Or is that even something that is part of your evaluation? I think it's important for the industry. I think it gets tricky when people have differing opinions. You can have like two medical directors, different clinicians think that the credibility of a certain therapeutic is there versus not there. So I think you're always going to have like differing like medical opinions. But as far as creating a system that allows for someone to receive the necessary guidance to ensure patient safety, making sure that patients are properly informed of the decisions that they're making, giving people ample opportunity to trainings, advanced trainings, maybe even targeted trainings based on their patient population and you know the services that they're offering, even going so far as ideal outcomes based on the literature. Those are all things that are possible when you have a ton of different practices out there and a system for seeing not just practice history, but patient history. So we've actually implemented a good bit of that. And on the training side, we work very closely with some of the pharmaceutical companies in this space. And what I think is interesting about medical training and aesthetics is you think about residency or something like that. You're a med school student and then you go to residency and then you've got your certifications, your boards and all that. Aesthetics is a bit different. A lot of it is a lot of on the job training and it's done by a lot of super talented mid-levels, many of whom actually perform more of the treatments than the medical directors who are actually overseeing them. So they have a certain vantage point. And I personally believe that repetition in the medical field often leads to expertise. So it's a bit of a unique situation. And so you have these extensive training programs that are offered by these pharmaceutical companies, which are really plugging this gap of a missing residency program or a credentialing process. And so I actually think that's a really interesting space that we could continue to evolve in both as a company and also through partnership. Totally. And I'm curious, what do practitioners working with Portrait want more from you guys? I think most clinicians want to focus more on patient care. And so everything else that's required to operate a business, they want someone else to mostly handle or automate it as much as possible. And so all those back office operations, and that's a pretty big bucket, but there's a lot there. Practice growth, I think is a really big one. And I guess maybe I would double click into that because I think to an extent, you know, you want like a hot take. There are a lot of tools in the healthcare space, right? And it's not that the tools are bad many of them are very good, but the adoption is fragmented and the coordination of those tools is very poor. And so you think about the onus solo provider or even like a multi-provider practice is taking on by operating their practice and they're training in really where they want to spend their time is around you know, like patient care. And now I'm trying to sequence and stitch together all these tools. It's not necessarily where they want to spend their time. And even though they're like very capable and intelligent, if you don't like doing it, you're not going to spend a lot of time around it. And so you're not going to get the value unlock. And so I think one of the interesting things that we do at Portra is actually we sequence things so that you actually get a value unlock. And I would say maybe to zoom up to a different level, even like major health systems, they still face the same problem. Like clinicians don't like change once they get set in a pattern. And a lot of the stakeholders there don't want to change something because they're managing talent, which are the clinicians. And so adoption of technology is like difficult from both ends of like the spectrum. Right. And so portrait, because things are kind of launching and things are just being integrated and we can be thoughtful about how it's introduced to a provider, you can actually generate a tremendous amount of value from things that have existed, but just have a really hard time penetrating into practices. And so practice growth, marketing tools, that kind of stuff can be another example, another bucket of that. Of something you guys can offer. Got it. 
I'd love to transition to the macro environment propelling the Botox and aesthetic industry forward. So you've had a front row seat to understand how patients are utilizing these aesthetic procedures. What are the obvious trends you've seen to date? And then have there been spikes either in certain age segments or for certain types of care that has made you surprised? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one is that the stigma around this is really going away. Adoption at all different demographics is really interesting. You know, you'd be surprised of the use cases. Neurotoxins, neuromodulators, Botox, you know, Dysport, these are still, I think, the workhorse and how a lot of people think about like introduction into non-invasive aesthetic treatments. We're noticing a, a pretty strong uptick in biostimulants. HA fillers are the plumping effect and there's different types of fillers that are injected into different parts of the locus of the face. Interesting. You're seeing more adoption of filler. No, no, decreasing, actually. Decreasing, that makes sense. And just being displaced by like more uh, biostimulant. This is something that basically has a collagen stimulating type effect. Okay. Classic example of those products would be like a Radius or or like a Sculptra. And there's some ones that are actually coming to market that are a combination of both an HA filler and a biostimulant. Interesting. Obviously, aesthetics treatments are common in major coastal cities, but how do you think this will penetrate the rest of the country over the next decade? And curious how portrait is from a geographic perspective. So we are all over the country. Some of our biggest practices are in very non-major metropolitan areas. Fascinating. I think it's, you can think about like big markets, a lot of demand, a lot of competition. And so you can be successful, but you have to operate a certain way. Whereas it's not, I think, similar to some doctors who choose to set up operations in a remote area because they're the kind of the only shop in town. So it's right. happening both ways. Got it. Okay, well, moving into the last segment of predictions, I'm curious, you mentioned roll-ups. Obviously, you guys are boosting and supporting these solopreneurs. If you had to zoom forward 10 years out, what do you think the market looks like from a perspective of the solopreneurs versus the roll-ups versus the everbodies and the peachies that have kind of established more of a brand? It's an interesting question. So somebody who's a trying to establish a brand, I feel like your brand is almost trying to get a consistency of an outcome. And if I want to go to an everybody or a skin spirit or something, I think over time I end up forming like a connection with my individual clinician, the person that I trust, the person who is you know, injecting something into my face. That's a deeply personal experience. I'm exposing my vulnerabilities with that individual. I think I would really question where is the value happening? You know, it's like that object isn't creating any value sitting on the shelf. Its value is realized through the technique of injection, right, of that individual. And then the ultimate trust that you're building with that individual. And so I think you can certainly build like significant businesses. And I think people are doing that. I personally believe that clinicians being able to operate their businesses on their own terms is the model that I think will ultimately win out. And with PE-backed rollups and other um, industries in healthcare, it's always that struggle. Like, you know, we consolidate, we try to play that game, that PE roll-up game, but can you retain the clinicians? And a lot of people really, really struggle with that. I mean, there's plenty of case studies where that has not gone well. So what happens when those senior clinicians leave? And they do. So Great with you guys. And then last prediction question, thinking about kind of the most out there ideas in the future of aesthetic medicine. I know Morpheus is a big trend right now. What innovations are you most excited about or what innovations do you think will be more mainstream 10 years from now? Maybe this isn't directly answering your question. I'm not thinking about in terms of like a new offering into the market. What I think is going to continue to be a trend and maybe even accelerate is 
the role of like mid-levels in the healthcare industry, certainly in aesthetics, but also at large. It just takes too much time to train a physician from start to finish. And so I think there's many verticals where you just have a chronic shortage and also a distribution problem. And it's really only going to be met by the joint care that can be provided between mid-levels and the right infrastructure for medical oversight. And so I think states are realizing that just based on like NP autonomy policies. But I think that trend is going to continue to play out. And I think the way that we view healthcare providers is going to continue to shift. Yeah. So a couple of final questions that we always love to ask our guests for our listeners who want to learn more about a topic. So quickly, what piece of advice would you give to someone looking to break into the industry? It's a journey. Just because you are doing really well inside of a practice and just because you have a lot of resources or partner with a platform like Portrait, there is still a lot of entrepreneurial hustle that's going to determine your trajectory in this space. And so we find that people who really have that desire, we really affect the acceleration of their practice, but you got to have that. You got to really want it. It's not like you can't just roll out and expect us to be like successful right off the bat. And so I think we offer a more holistic solution, but just like anything, you know, whether you're using Shopify or something like that, not every internet entrepreneur is going to be successful. There are tools and services and they can be like really well like integrated and coordinated, but you got to have that seal. Well, thank you, Praveen. Thank you so much for joining us here today and sharing your insights. We look forward to seeing all of the innovation you continue to bring to the industry through Portrait and seeing where Portrait goes next. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Praveen, thank you so much for joining us today. You can find Praveen Ramanivi on LinkedIn and at PortraitCare.com. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, subscribe, and review Inspired in 15, and we'll see you next time.